This is Fair Examination on the Mormon Faircast. Fair Examination takes a close look at interesting and sometimes difficult issues facing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its members. This is the third part of a three-part interview. So what role has the gospel played in your marriage? I would say it's played a huge role. I mean, a lot of even getting us to the point where we're ready to think about being engaged or married or anything was was due to a lot of, you know, inspiration and um, we could see the hand of the Lord working in a relationship. And I would also um, add that I think um, knowledge about the you know, the plan of um, that the Savior has for us and, and Heavenly Father have for us um, really, you know, plays a huge role in helping us become better and knowing, you know, knowing that the Savior has provided the atonement, knowing that there's hope that people can become better, that you can change um, habits that you have and, and different things that you have um, and become something that you want to be but you aren't yet. I mean, having that knowledge and that surety that that people do change, that people um, can turn to the Lord and their hearts can be healed when bad things happen, it's it's what makes everything else possible. Um, and I would also say that um, because because of the atonement and because of, of that knowledge and that surety, um, you know, I, I think it was a big breakthrough for me in, in our marriage relationship to recognize that that even though there were times that I might feel hurt, that it wasn't necessarily Joshua's intent to hurt me. You know, he did something and it did hurt me, but it's not like he's going out of his way to do something that's going to hurt me. And being able to separate that and realize that there's a big difference um, really was a turning point for me in, in how I was able to handle situations that weren't ideal. Right. And, I mean, the gospel, especially for me, you know, I grew up in an age where there was only one way to be gay. And it didn't fit with what I wanted. And the gospel was the only place I had that could say that I could be who I wanted to be. And I didn't need to be what other people wanted me to be. Um, and what I wanted to be was close to God and have that peace that the, the living the gospel brings. And my greatest blessing right now on this earth is to have a wife and pretty soon a kid. And it makes me so happy and I'm so fulfilled. And it's the greatest blessing on earth. And to think that someone would want to deprive someone of that blessing and tell them that they can't, that they're incapable of doing that. It's, 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 it was very difficult for me because it came to a point where I had started to believe those lies. I had started to believe that some, for some reason I was born in such a way that those blessings would not be made possible for me. And I was able to rely on, on, on the, the gospel knowing through, through prayer I know that there's plenty of people with same-sex attraction who won't have that blessing in the, this life, and people with opposite-sex attraction who won't have that blessing in this life. But that for me, it, it, it is something that, that was possible, and that gave me that hope that I could work towards. Yeah, you sometimes hear that people with same-sex attraction are incapable of meeting the needs of 
someone of the opposite gender. Uh, Alyssa, what's your perspective on that? Do you feel like that your needs are being met within your marriage? Absolutely. Is it fair to say that you're giving up your sex life if you marry somebody with same-sex attraction? That certainly hasn't been the case for me. In the past, there have been maybe some misunderstandings or some bad advice that people have given, um, you know, to the, to the extent that if you have same-sex attraction that you should get married in order to change your orientation, you know, that it's maybe therapy, um, you know, that, that doesn't seem to have uh, uh, been a very wise thing to say, and it seems that the church counsels against that now. I would think anybody should counsel against that. I I always, and I guess that was something that, that did worry me a little bit in Joshua's case and something that I was concerned about getting to the bottom of um, pretty early on after I found out about his circumstance. Um, I don't think marriage should ever be considered as any sort of a therapeutic option or should be forced on anyone. Um, I, after a lot of questions from trying, you know, every different angle I could think of, um, I became convinced that Joshua was really telling me the truth and that it was really his desire to get married and not something that he was trying to do for his parents or for friends or for, you know, some perception that he had that that's what good Mormons did, um, that it was something that he wanted for himself. And so, um, you know, I, I think that at least in, in the case of our relationship, it's really, you know, something that we both wanted um, in and of our, ourselves and not from external influences. Yeah, it seems like that Dallin Oaks has made a comment about that. I'm trying to remember specifically um, to the effect that the church does not, and maybe it's in the church handbook, the church does not encourage anyone to get married who has same-sex attraction uh, unless they really feel like they're attracted to the person they want to get married to. Is that does that sound right? Yeah, it's on the um, church's newsroom um, online. If you go to the official position on same gender attraction, he has an interview, and he's quoting a 1987 quote from President Hinckley, where he says Hinckley says marriage should not be viewed as a therapeutic step to solve problems such as homosexual inclination or practices. Then Oaks continues and says, to me, that means we're not going to stand still to put to put at risk daughters of God and I'd assume sons of God as well, um, who would enter into such marriages under false pretenses or under a cloud unknown to them. Persons who have this kind of challenge can, they cannot control should not enter marriage in good faith. On the other hand, persons who have cleansed themselves of any transgression and have shown their ability to deal with these feelings or inclination and put them in the background and feel a great attraction for a daughter of God, and probably means or a son of God, and therefore desire to enter marriage and have children and enjoy the blessings of eternity, that's a situation when marriage would be appropriate. Yeah, it seems like I recall, maybe you know better, Joshua, that there was an interview with Dallin Oaks where someone um, kind of, uh, well, was attacking the church, I think, to some degree on this basis and saying that... Um, that in the past bishops or stake presidents had been encouraging people with same-sex attraction, you know, maybe not to tell their fiance and to go ahead and get married because that would resolve the issue. And, and Dallin Oaks, I think said something about how, you know, he didn't, he didn't think that was really happening. And then later came to find out that there have been bishops in the past or maybe stake presidents who have had said such a thing. 
And so the top church leadership has been more direct in saying, that's not a good idea. That's not what we're counseling our rank and file leaders to do. Right. So that was the 1986 interview with CBS. Um, they, they said the church has recommended in the past. CBS said the church has recommended in the past as part of repentance when you're engaging in uh, as part of the repentance from there have been several cases cited when a homosexual wants to remain within the fold and finding his feelings will go to the bishop and will go for counsel for what is recommended is that you repress his feelings and get married and have children and set you on a better path. Does that sound? And Elder Rooks was like, I don't know whether that has been recommended or not, because the counseling sessions, so he talked about um, that the counseling sessions are confidential and he doesn't have records for it, but he says marriage is not usually thought of as an act of repentance. And so he was very clear that the church never taught that. Um, Going back to the 1970s, um, President Kimball wrote a pamphlet called Hope for the Transgressors, and in that pamphlet, he, he talks about helping someone with um, same-sex attractions. And um, actually, he was talking about people who had been involved in homosexual behavior. So that's a different group of people. And he did mention when you feel he is ready, he should be encouraged today and move his life towards the normal. It's proper that a girl should be interested in a boy and a boy should be interested in a girl. Um, so, so he is talking about marriage, and he is talking about it in that getting over the same-sex attraction, but it's very much when you feel he's ready. So it's not that marriage is a step to getting it, but that after you've gone through this process, then marriage is a possibility. And that's what I found in my life is that I've, when I was ready, marriage was a very wonderful and great thing. And before I was married, it really probably wouldn't have worked very well. Right, and so I guess what we can say about that is that in the past, the church has never taken an official position to the effect that marriage should be used as a therapeutic option or that somebody should get married um, even though they're experiencing same-sex attraction. Uh, it's, it's, I guess it would be more fair to say that the church has not really said much at all in, in that as an official institution in those areas until more recently. Uh, when they're challenged on on these issues. And in fairness, I think that uh, it would be correct to say that there have been some local leaders who uh, maybe out of inexperience or ignorance uh, maybe did suggest those types of things. Um, And so in response, the church now has been more direct and clear about um, how to approach these types of issues. And so when bishops are confronted with them or, or individuals, uh, that they have a more clear idea of how they should approach it. Right. Yeah, I mean, reading the interview with Oaks, he seemed very surprised that marriage would be thought of as an act of repentance, which I, I could see the church not stressing that marriage is not an therapeutic step because that just doesn't seem very logical. But since then, his interview in 1986, they have been very clear that marriage is not a therapeutic step in a way to resolve homosexual inclinations or practices. So Joshua and Alyssa both, I guess, um, what are some of the stereotypes that you've confronted that uh, you've had to overcome? Well, I mean, the first stereotype was probably, you know, like the very one that I encountered um, when Joshua first made his statement in the first place that I'm attracted to guys. Um, 
And the instant stereotype that came to mind was that means that he wants to pursue a relationship with someone of the same sex. And, you know, what he went on to tell me in that same conversation was that that wasn't the case, that he'd already been on a path for a very long time where he wasn't pursuing relationships with people of the same sex. And, um, and you know, so the, just that stereotype in and of itself, I think we see emphasized in our society over and over again. And it's one that's really hard um, to try to, to get your mind away from because it's so prevalent. And so many people who are more vocal about um, having homosexual tendencies um, want everybody to think that that's the only way they can really be happy. Yeah, um, one of the biggest stereotypes that I face is a lot of people, like a lot of people say that I did this for someone else, um, that they're like, oh, it's so sad that you couldn't marry who you really wanted to because the church is making you or something like that. And I, you know, I married who I wanted to marry. I did not want to marry a guy. I do not feel at peace when I'm with a guy I wanted to marry. A woman, and particularly I wanted to marry Alyssa because she makes me happier than I've ever been in my whole entire life. And so it's, it is kind of hard to hear when people just assume that you got married for someone else or you're doing it to make the church happy or you're doing it to make your parents happy or you're doing it to hide. And, and that's particularly annoying because I was out before I got married, so obviously I didn't do it to hide. Um Another problem is everyone stereotypes is that I'm secretly having gay sex. They talk about Brokeback Mountain or Ted Haggard or some of these more common um, occurrences that you do hear about. I mean, when someone's faithful to their spouse, that never makes the news. Um, and and so there's that mentality that people have. Um, and there's people... A lot of people saying that I'm not being true to myself, and I, I fight. Very, I'm fighting. I'm fighting very much against what culture is saying and what the world's telling me. So for someone to accuse me of just being a sheep sounds seems very counterintuitive to me. I'm I'm like I fought very hard to do what I want and not what other people are telling me to do, and then they think I'm just a sheep following other people. This is not an easy path. What has been taught in the church regarding identity in this regard? So um, there's been several statements by several leaders. Um, both Packer and Oaks have talked that um, being gay should not be used as a noun. That I shouldn't say I am gay. I, should, I am a gay. That would be a noun. Um, I am gay would be an adjective. Um, and there they talk about how you shouldn't see it as a condition of who you are. Um, you should see yourself first and foremost as a son and daughter of God. Um, and I've seen that where if you identify yourself, you know, whatever it is, if you're a less active member, sometimes you let that identity become who you are and it's harder to overcome that and be an active member, for example. Um, so that's Elder... Oaks and Elder Packer. 
um, Elder Holland has talked about not letting your sexual feelings be your primary identity. And I would say that that's good advice for anyone, whether they have same or opposite sex attraction. You should not make your sexual feelings um, give an enormous amount of time. That is important. And then Bishop McMullen has talked a lot about labels in general. He has um, even said that you shouldn't even say a woman is pregnant because that's giving her a label and reducing her to a, a biological phenomena rather than seeing her as a daughter of God. Um, and so they, they have said that no one should really be labeled in any fashion and that um, saying people who are gay kind of puts them in a category. And I have seen many people in the church who, who have taken that to mean that people who are living the law of chastity shouldn't be identified as gay and other people should be. And, and that's totally going against what our church leaders teach. That They teach that no one should have that label, that everyone should be treated as a son and daughter of God. Nothing they have ever said has ever indicated that you should use that label to distinguish between good guys or bad guys or something like that. So has the church taught that people should be closeted? No. Um, one of So identifying yourself primarily, there's a huge difference between identifying yourself primarily by your sexual feelings and then lying about it and pretending that you're something you aren't. The church has said that you need to be honest with your fellow man. They, one of the great teachings from the Book of Mormon is that when we were baptized, we make covenant to bear one another's burdens and mourn with those who mourn. And that can't happen if you don't know what those burdens are. And President o or Elder Oaks has said, that every member that applies specifically to same-sex attraction, that every member has that duty to bear that with someone with same-sex attraction. And I think a lot of people do get confused because um, the church doesn't like the label gay and doesn't want to create this division between the gay guys and the straight guys and women. Um, that, that means that you have to pretend to be straight and that nothing they have said indicates that you should pretend to be straight. So having said that, what do you think the church's position is on what we refer to as gay rights? So um, gay rights is, gay is a very confusing um, adjective because it could mean um, several different things. Elder Oaks says that it could be referred to feelings or it could um, refer to behavior. So you really don't know. Um, there are some rights that are typically labeled as gay rights that the church has been in support of. We see in Salt Lake that they've been in favor of housing and employment rights for people based solely on their sexual orientation, that they get special benefits for that. And I think they're fully aware that that would also, given the current state of our legal system, also apply to people who are um, having same-sex relationships. Um, I have often thought of gay rights as being similar to women's rights. Not every woman is in favor of everything that's under the category of women's rights. Um, the church is against abortion, for example, and several women are against abortion, even though that gets put under the category of women's rights. It's the same thing with gay rights. There are some 
you know, gay rights that are very good, that the church is pro-everyone, that everyone needs to be treated with love and respect, and bullying and unkindness is a horrible, awful thing, and no one should do it. Um, but then there's some, some gay rights that even many people of same-sex attraction are opposed to. And I, for example, am opposed to same-sex marriage. And even though I have same-sex um, attraction, and the church is also against same-sex attraction, or same-sex marriage. So another thing I, I wanted to add is, for, for me in particular, um, something that's been very important to me is my ability to choose my own path as someone with same-sex attraction and the ability to, you know, go to a college that respects my values and to be able to go to a therapist who with someone who respects my values and has the same goals I want to. And I do think it's interesting that under the category of gay rights, people actually clump the inability to get go to to get that type of therapy that depriving gay people of the therapy that they want is actually a goal of a lot of gay rights organizations a very explicit goal and in my mind that would be give, allowing people with same sex attraction to get the therapy they want should be part of gay rights you know, the right to therapy should be a thing of, of gay rights. And so in that aspect, I would say that the church is very much in favor of that gay right, as opposed to many gay rights organizations, which are not in favor of that right. So with respect to Proposition 8, mm -hmm. do you see that as a move to take rights away from same-sex couples? Um, the um, At the time in California... Um, before same-sex marriage became legal, same-sex couples had all of the rights that the state of California could offer them. There are several rights that could not be offered to them by the state of California, um, such as federal rights. Um, but those rights were not under question in Prop 8. Prop 8 would not have affected a single right for same-sex couples except for the ability to call their relationship a marriage. That was the only right that was affected. And the church came out and said, um, when they supported it, that they did not oppose any of the other rights, um, which were very extensive um, under California law. And I think because we joined a broad group of, of other like-minded people who also wanted who, to protect the definition of marriage, and some of those organizations were opposed to some of the rights in California that many people assume because the church was affiliated with those organizations that that was the church's stance as well, but that is not the case. How do you reconcile the church's participation with Proposition 8 and the church's teachings on agency? So I think there's a huge difference between allowing someone to do whatever they want and um, subsidizing their behavior with tax benefits and saying that I personally agree with your behavior and I personally think that the way you're doing things is just as good as the way that I'm doing things. So there's a huge difference with ones, you know, agreeing to disagree. Like, I don't think that that's an appropriate behavior, but you should be allowed to do it, whether I think it's an appropriate behavior or not. And the other one is saying, I want you to say that my behavior is appropriate. And so there's a difference there. Now, you were in California during the whole Proposition 8 debate, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. From your perspective, could it be fairly said that the church participated in any what you know what's called gay bashing during the Proposition Eight debates? Um, the church actually, as an official thing, didn't say much. Actually, they gave a um, fireside that was broadcast to all members, and they did put several things on their website, which was very extensively saying that they were against gay bashing and that this disagreement should not um, allow that behavior at all. And I, unfortunately, did see a lot of gay bashing from supporters of Prop 8. Most of them were not members of our church. Um, Some of the worst gay bashing came from non-Mormons, but unfortunately, some of them were. However, I was impressed because I, I was involved in a lot of talking and debating things. And when people were reasonable about it and were able to convey their views without attacking people who chose to be in same-sex relationships, I could tell that they were probably Mormon and I was usually right. So beyond that, what was it like being a member of the church in California during Proposition 8, a a member of the church who experienced a same-sex attraction. Well, it was, I've said before that I felt that, because I'm, and I have same-sex attraction, and I am very connected to that community, and I do, I have participated in, have been the subject of abuse and gay bashing, and it's not fun, and it's painful, and it hurts. And so there's a lot of very sensitive feelings for that. And there's, but at the same time, I'm, I'm Mormon and I believe in the sanctity of marriage and I have a very different view of marriage as a lot of people um, in California do. So I've often compared it as like seeing your parents get a divorce where like both sides are very close to you and they're fighting and it hurts and it hurts a lot. Um, it's really hard when you're you're fighting for something that you believe in, and yet the people you're with are saying things that are very hurtful and very painful. And that happened on both sides, where people who supported marriage said very, very hurtful things against people with same-sex attractions, and people who with same-sex attractions said very hurtful things against Mormons and people of faith. Um, people called it proposition hate and they say over and over again that we were doing this because of hate. And that's just hurts because it's not because of hate. And to even accuse me of doing something out of hate seem is very, very harsh and very hard to deal with. It, it got to the point where you, you say that you're Mormon and people just assume that you hate gay people, which is totally not true, but it's, it's a stereotype that you have to deal with. And there were commercials on TV that were bashing the Mormon faith openly, which I never thought I would have seen when I was growing up. Um, But the fact that that you could put commercials on the air that sole purpose was to bash Mormons was was very odd and very foreign. It, It didn't seem like I was in the United States anymore. Alyssa, what do you have to add? Um, I would say it was it was hard for me on a lot of personal levels. Um, I had some, you know, like I said, I had some friends who were, you know, very openly living gay lifestyles, and um, you know, they were they were people who 
um, respected the fact that I was Mormon, and and so they they did engage me in some conversation about this topic. And at that time, I was still dating Joshua. We hadn't really decided for sure to get married yet, um, and at, at various points in time, they wanted to ask questions or something. Um, I mean, I find, I don't know, at various points in time, they, they did have a few questions. Um, I tried to even utilize Joshua's help to make sure that I was responding, you know, in, in the most positive way I, I could. Um, and, and still found that people became really, um, distant. I lost friends for an extended period of time. Um, they, it was, it was just really, it was, it was a hard place to be because, um, you know, I, I did care very much about them and I knew that they wanted the opportunity to be able to say that the relationship they were in was a marriage. Um, and, and yet I, I didn't necessarily support that definition, but that didn't mean that I didn't want them to be happy. And it didn't mean that I wanted to say that they couldn't do something that they felt was right. Um, and it certainly didn't mean that I was, you know, upset at them or unhappy with them, but, but they were sure unhappy with me. And so it, it was just a really, it was a really weird time and, and one that I hope I don't have to live through again, <laughs> but I probably will. So, um, it, it was, it was difficult to want to, um, to really talk to a lot of people or really be very outgoing or vocal about, about things. And from, you know, because I was close to Joshua at that point in time, I got a lot more exposure to different issues that were actually being dealt with within the community of people who were Mormon and did have our experience SSA and how they were feeling about things that were being said. And, and that was, I mean, it was really eye opening and you could see where, you know, they didn't necessarily like what was going on either, um, as Joshua just alluded to. And, and so it was just, I don't know, it was really hard, um, from every perspective to try to make, make any sort of a point about what you believed or why you believed it, because everything was just so controversial. Another thing that I think was hard is that, um, they would often, because you had that view about what marriage means, and that wasn't their view, that they assigned a lot of other things to you. Like people would accuse you, oh, you're against Prop 8, so therefore you think that we, sh you, our family should be broken up and we shouldn't be allowed to see each other and we shouldn't be able to get health rights or these other rights or you're in favor of gay bashing. I mean, they made all of these very illogical leaps because I had one view on one aspect that all of a sudden I was a gay hater. 
And people said that I had, especially when they found out that I had same-sex attraction, that it was internalized homophobia, and that I had a lot of self-hate. And it's just really hard to take. What what has the church said about gay bashing? The church has been very clear um, that gay bashing is not appropriate and is not acceptable for members of the church to participate in. Now, some people have criticized Elder Packer and have said that Elder Packer has promoted gay bashing or violence against gays because of uh, a, a talk he gave, I think, in the late 70s, um, where he mentioned an incident uh, involving, I think it was two missionaries who uh, one made uh, a homosexual advance toward the others. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. Um, what's your take on that story? It's uh, there's it's very spotty about the circumstances that that in that encounter. Um, so I think it's very hard to say what those circumstances are. Um, I've seen Elder. Have, have you read that talk? I, I've read the talk. the 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 talk itself doesn't have a lot of details in it. You see Elder Packer as promoting violence against uh, homosexuals in that talk. No, no, I don't see that. I, I've seen him as more protecting your chastity at all costs. Um, and if someone were forcibly trying to get me to participate in homosexual behavior with them, I would probably protect myself with violence if necessary as well. Um, or, you know, the straights as, as well. I, I, I view it as you need to protect yourself and your chastity at all costs. He wasn't very clear in his talk about how forceful the sexual advances were, but there were sexual advances. I think in the larger context, the message that we should get out of that talk is that we should protect ourselves from being violated sexually. And it's not necessarily a message that would pertain just to homosexual advances. Does that sound does that sound right uh, from your perspective? Yes, I, he said in a general context, never let anyone handle you or touch those very personal parts of your body which are an essential link in the ongoing creation. Um, and in in that talk. He did say, and I, I pulled it up so I have the, the quote, he says, I am not recommending that course to you, but I'm not omitting it. You must protect yourself. So it's the focus is very much on protecting yourself. Yeah, which is absolutely the same message that would be given to a young woman. Right. That if a young man is is making sexual advances to her, that she ought to resist those and... Um, and, and I think that he would say the same thing, to the young woman, if, if the young woman, you know, decked a guy for, um, you know, groping her, you know, trying to, to, to make some kind of unwanted advance, I think Elder Packer would have said, well, um, I, you know, I'm glad you did. I, you know, I, if I were there, I probably would have done the same thing. Um, you know, so I, I guess I don't see that as an attack on homosexuals per se. I, I see that on an attack as an attack on unwanted sexual advances. Right. There, there is, however, like I said, there's not a lot of detail in the talk itself. So we don't know the level of sexual advancement that the missionary did. I mean, I, you know, if some woman winked at me and I beat her to a bloody pulp, that's not an appropriate response. 
Right. You know, their your your protection is about protecting and not about gay bashing and um so his example was not very clear and so I think a lot of critics do look at that lack of clarity as a form of um promoting gay bashing. Have you ever heard anyone say that it's okay to persecute gays or to do violence against gays on the basis of Elder Packer's talk? No, that I think in the Mormon church, one of the things we do focus on is the law of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And if you look at any other teaching on this topic, it makes it very clear that that interpretation would be incorrect, including several teachings by Elder Packer himself. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel when Elder Packer gave his talk in October 2010? Um the talk that, that, you know, you know the talk I'm talking about yes. that, that gave so so much, uh, uh, there was there was so much reaction to that. And, and again, they, um, you know, accusing Elder Packer of, of basically being a homophobe. Um, how did you feel about that talk? Well, I think perhaps I am, I, because I, I make, to me it's very obvious the difference between actions and relationships. And I have had to fight against the um, inclination to be in a same-sex relationship. And I have, I mean, I've overcome it into the, to the extent that I'm not in a same-sex relationship. So it's fit exactly what I had been going through for so many years and was validation to me that I was on the right course and it was possible. And that is what God wanted me to do. Um, I did wish that he um, was a bit clearer. I think it's always hard to guess how people are going to interpret your remarks. I knew exactly what he was talking about, but unfortunately it seems that there are people who, who weren't. Um, and I think I it would have been better if he had left them without a shadow of doubt what he was talking about, but no one's perfect. Yeah, I mean, if if you put his talk into the context of what he has said in the past, it's it's clear to me that he's distinguishing between behavior and um, temptations or tendencies we might have, um, and that God doesn't make someone in a way that they have no choice but to act on the tendencies or temptations that they have. Um, God wouldn't do that. Uh, but he's not saying that nobody has temptations or tendencies. He, you know, he's he's certainly not saying that uh, that by virtue of being in this world and and uh, you know being a natural man or natural woman that we uh, that that uh, we're not born with um, different types of tendencies or temptations. Uh, and he's he's made perhaps a more clear distinction between behavior and tendencies or temptations in past talks. Um, what do you recall about what Elder Packer has said in the past in that regard? So he said, um, he was talking about the struggle with being same-sex attraction, having same-sex attraction, and particularly with the temptation to engage in immoral activity. And he said that, quote, that may be a struggle from which you will not be free in this life. If you do not act on temptation, you need feel no guilt. 
so he was very strong echoing the words of um, President Kimball in that respect, that we shouldn't be feeling guilty for same-sex attractions. We shouldn't be feeling guilty for fighting the good fight. And for him to turn around in 2010 and allude to that, it seems very odd to me that that would be the interpretation. Well, it was the same time that the New Church Handbook was coming out that was, uh, in the current Church Handbook, it's specifically drawing a distinction between behavior and temptations or, or you know, tendencies that people might have. Um, so, it, again, it would be very strange if Elder Packer, at the same time this church handbook is coming out, saying it's not sinful to be tempted with same-sex attraction, it's sinful to act on same-sex attraction or, or to behave in a homosexual manner. Um, it, it would be very incongruous for Elder Packer then at the same time to give a talk inferring that same-sex attraction itself was sinful. Right, and it doesn't, I mean, because the other thing is he does not mention same-sex attraction once during the whole talk. I mean, there's no doubt that there's, he was including that, and given, you know, the Proposition 8 and what was going around it, and substitutes for marriage, that that was included in the talk. But everything he said applies equally to straight people as well. And, well, and it was there was a larger context too. I mean, he was talking about pornography as well, right. and yeah, and so it's it's not just homosexual behavior. We're talking about sinful behavior in general, and that we have um, certain tendencies or temptations, but but they do not dictate our behavior. Right, and that's a core Mormon belief, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. And they think it's only applying to people with same-sex attraction when it's it's general. It's everyone has to fight against the natural man. Right. Yeah, I was really impressed because I actually, in, in one of the conversations I actually had with a friend around the whole Proposition 8 issue, um, he was a person who was in a same-sex relationship. And um, I mentioned that we believed that even people who had homosexual feelings and tendencies could still have the potential of, of having, you know, an opposite sex partner and being happy. Um, not everybody, but that that might be a possibility. And, and the response that I got to that statement was never, that would never work for me. And that, well, that may be. I certainly am in no position to judge whether or not that would work in his case or not. Um, the fact that he was so adamant that there was nothing he could do to fight the temptation to to be with a uh, you know another male was was odd to me because I'm like, but that's that's what agency is, um, and so it really was, um, you know, it, it was a, a big point for me when I was listening to this talk. I was actually really happy that, that he was talking about the fact that, you know, it doesn't matter what temptation or tendency we might have, um, whether it's one towards alcohol or one towards anger or one towards, you know, engaging in same-sex behavior, that all of those things are things that we can overcome because 
we all need to overcome things in our lives. None of us are perfect. And, and I just thought it was, you know, um, as, as a lot of people have said, there, there are things that sometimes you wish, well, maybe he could have phrased that a little bit better. Um, but I thought it was a really beautiful message. And, and then so shortly thereafter, so many people were so against it. And I thought they just totally misinterpreted what he was saying completely and missed the point that, that it really is that core doctrine that we can overcome, you know, temptations that we have in this life, whether it's, you know, a person who was exposed to drugs at a very, very early age and has this tendency toward being a drug addict or it's something involving your sexual activity that we all can choose. Um, and, and that's really the message that the gospel brings. I think part of the confusion was the use of, use of the word overcome. Um, when we overcome difficulties, there, it's, I, I don't think in Mormonism we think that all the difficulties ever go away and everything's hunky-dory. It's learning to deal with the difficulties. And, I mean, that's the huge difference is I, I think some people saw this overcome as you're changing your sexual orientation, whereas I have this desire towards um, the impure and unnatural, and I am not giving into it. I am conqueror. I am overcoming that desire, not, oh, it's just a piece of cake now because I don't have the desire anymore. The statement that Elder Packer made was, some suppose that they were preset and cannot overcome what they feel are inborn tendencies toward impure and unnatural. Now, the, the uh, print version says inborn temptations. And he says, not so. And in the spoken version said, why would our Heavenly Father do that to anyone? Remember, he is our Heavenly Father. Now, Elder Packer gave another uh, talk, and I'm not sure where this is found. I just I just love the quote so much that it's just really stuck with me. And, and maybe he's not the only one who said it, but uh, he mentioned, and I think it may have been in the context of pornography, but um, or, or or impure thoughts that we may have. And his point was, a bird may land on your head, but you don't need to let it build a nest there. And I think that that really gets to the point here is that. In, in overcoming temptations and tendencies, it's a matter of shooing the bird away, you right. know, N not entertaining that, that bird and not saying, you know, hey, stick around and, and let's make it comfortable for you here. And so to say that we can't overcome the temptations or tendencies that we may have, I think is is the message that a lot of people are promoting that if you have some kind of inclination towards certain behavior, that you should indulge that inclination and that you have no option but to indulge it. And it's like Alyssa said, the gospel teaches us that we do have options. We do have the freedom to choose what our behavior will be. Right. And I think another point that's hard for people to get is we're supposed to control our thoughts. We're supposed to purify our hearts and change our desires. And I think when we start talking about, especially in SSA, when we talk about changing our desires, um, people think that's a change in sexual orientation, where to me it's my desire is to do what God wants me to do, and I don't desire to be in a same-sex relationship, and that's the desire I'm changing. I'm not 
stopping the bird from landing on my head, but I'm shooing it away. Exactly, exactly. So the bird lands on your head, and so what your desire is is to shoo the bird away and not to not to make it comfortable for the bird to remain. You know, one of the things that um, I think there, there even are some members of the church who have created organizations uh, relating to same-sex marriage or, or, or homosexual activity, um, it seems in an effort to change the church's position with respect to same-sex activity and same-sex marriage. Um, and I think that the theory that they have is that if it's legal for homosexuals to marry, that it would not be a violation of the law of chastity for someone to engage in sexual activity within the context of that marriage, even though it's a same-sex marriage. Now, what's your take on that? If homosexuals are able to marry, why would sex within that relationship be a violation of the law of chastity? Well, as a married homosexual... Sex within a relationship with someone of the opposite sex wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, but as far as the same-sex marriage is concerned, for me, just I because I did, I wasn't always as faithful as I should be, and I have made mistakes. And I didn't feel peace, and I didn't feel close with God um, in that type of relationship. And I feel peace, and I feel close to God now. So I, I have a strong testimony that the law of chastity, as currently stands, does bring peace and does bring happiness into people's lives. And so it would seem odd to me that that would change. Um, the church is, the church, the purpose of the church is the kingdom of God here on earth. And we're here working together to try to prepare ourselves to live with God again. And the highest degree, it would be a celestial marriage in, um, in the kingdom of God. And same-sex relationships do not work towards that goal, and it can be quite distracting. And people who there are people who would otherwise be great um, spouses in an opposite-sex um, marriage who do get confused and do go for same-sex relationship and deprive themselves and their potential spouse of that type of loving relationship. Um, my relationship with Alyssa is the best that I could ever even fathom or hope for, and it's my greatest blessing on earth. And a lot of people unnecessarily, and I realize not everyone would be able to have the opportunity, but I think a lot of people unnecessarily deprive themselves of that blessing, and that's, that's sad. You know, a similar question, I suppose, would be, what would be wrong with homosexual activity that stops short of intercourse? So, you know, if you're a BYU student, for example, um, you're not married, um, and you are kissing someone of the opposite gender. Uh, you know, I don't know any bishop that is going to um, report you to the honor code office or or hold you know church discipline for that type of activity. Um, however, if a young man is engaging in kissing another young man um you know it seems that that's viewed very differently why should byu or the church care about two men who show physical affection to each other through hugging or or even holding hands or kissing when similar activity is not prohibited between 
unmarried people of the opposite gender. So a lot of what I've talked about is controlling your desires and um, helping your, your desires. And my desire has always been to have a celestial marriage. And I think that things that deter you from that goal, even if that's not a realistic possibility for you in this life, um, things that deter you from that goal are very detrimental to your eternal progression. And an unmarried man or woman can be working towards the goal of a celestial marriage, whereas two men aren't. And again, with the same-sex um, intimacy, I think it's mostly the desires behind it. I served my mission, as I said, in Brazil, and I saw a lot of same-sex kissing at church. Um, all the women, every time they saw each other, they kissed each other on the cheek, and that was part of the culture. And there was absolutely nothing wrong with same-sex kissing at church in front of everyone. Um, but it was uh, kissing of friends, and it was not done with a romantic intent. Um, it was very platonic. And, and so the part of the law of chastity, more than just um, keeping our relationships pure, is to also control our feelings. And they've asked us not to arouse any of the feelings that's outside of marriage that should only be aroused within marriage. Um, and even opposite-sex couples who are progressing towards marriage have to watch very carefully because their emotions can get to that point where it does arouse those feelings that should only be aroused in marriage, and they have to keep their guard on it. And if you're dating someone who you shouldn't be dating, then that that is also a relationship that even a, a heterosexual relationship that might be inappropriate. Um, one th difference, I think, between a heterosexual and a homosexual relationship is it's more obvious that because all homosexual relationships are inappropriate, it's more obvious to other people that those homosexual relationships are inappropriate. But, you know, if you see a guy and a girl walking hand in hand and kissing, you have, and you don't know them, you know, you don't know if that man's married to another woman and is cheating on her. Or even if they're both single, if that man prays to God and he feels he should break up with that woman, but is ignoring God's commands and not breaking up with her. You know, that's still equally wrong in my point of view. Um, you're supposed to be working towards the relationships that God wants you to be working towards, but it's not obvious to other people what God's intent for you is. Yeah, that's well put. You know, as people experience same-gender attraction issues, um, you know, you talked about some of the distress that you experienced early on trying to sort this through and, and figure out, uh, you know, your relationship to God, your relationship to the church, um, that's going to result in some feelings of depression and anxiety. And there are some instances where it becomes so severe that people commit suicide. Um, from your perspective, what is the church doing to confront the issues of suicide that are related to same-sex attraction? The church has spoken very much against gay bashing. Um, the church has talked a lot about the family members, making sure that they love them. I think it's a tendency, because you want your kids to be perfect, that you put undue stress on them to be perfect at times. 
And, but most fundamentally, I think it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that helps us find peace in this life and overcome any problems with, with suicide. I, there's, there's lots of people who are fully in the lifestyle and are in a very supportive environment who still commit suicide. Um, I think the only peace that comes is when you're fully following the gospel and that you, you have what the atonement of Christ working your life and that you do find that peace that comes through that. And I think the peace of repentance and the peace of following the gospel is irreplaceable. And that's what the church teaches. And I think lukewarm positions where you're half in and half out is probably one of the most miserable places to be. Do you think Jesus taught anything about homosexuality? We we sometimes hear that, um, you know, religious injunctions against homosexuality are based upon the law of Moses or based on that wacky dude, Paul, who said lots of weird things. And so we should just discount what Paul's saying because Jesus never taught about homosexuality. What do you think about that? Well, I think separating different terms um, is, is something new and didn't exist when Jesus was alive. He very clearly taught against um, fornication and adultery, which would include all sexual relationships outside of marriage. And he very clearly taught that marriage was between a man and a woman and that that shouldn't be changed. So that doesn't leave any room for homosexual relationships. He might not have specifically named all the different types of relationships that could be had outside of a, a marriage between a man and a woman. You know, if we invented a, a separate term for saying um, having sex with a person two doors down, then you could say, well, Jesus never taught against having sex with a person two doors down. But he didn't because he said, don't have any sex with someone you're not married to. He didn't say anything against prostitution, you know, but that's having sex with someone that you're not married to. Um, and then we do have the example of someone who was taken in adultery. And his message to them was, oh, it's fine, you know, go and and be yourself and fulfill your desires because this life is all about fulfilling the natural man. He He said, I don't condemn you. You know, he, he was very much about forgiveness and not judging other people. But at the same time, he said, go thy way and sin no more. And to think that he kind of had an exception for a particular type of fornication and adultery without ever mentioning it would seem very odd to me. He clearly taught against sexual relationships outside of marriage. So how do you think the church can teach the standards of the church while at the same time loving people who experience same-sex attraction? I think the standards of the church is the way to love people with same-sex attraction. The standards of the church, I, the, Christ didn't, the, the whole have no need for the physician. The pur purpose of the church is for people who aren't perfect. If you're perfect, you wouldn't need the church. The church is precisely for people who have problems. Um, you talked about Paul talking about homosexuality, and he did mention that neither the homosexual, he listed a lot of things, but he said neither the homosexual inherit the kingdom of, of God. But he goes on and says, but such were for you before you met the gospel. I mean, it was a roll call of the members that he was listing, not the list of people to bash. 
he was talking to people who were ex-gay, who were no longer homosexual, and he says, but, you know, the gospel saved you. And it's it's through teaching these things that you can help people find um, peace. And we also have the principle of agency, where we will still love and accept and um, help anyone, regardless how they decide to live their life. And I think some people have a hard time applying that in in several situations. Um, I've heard frequently where leaders of the church say they wish, for example, there was more cigarette smoke at church because that means the people who need it are there. And I would say the same thing applies. I wish there were more same-sex couples in our sacrament meeting because those are the people who need to hear the gospel. Those are the people who can benefit most from the law of chastity and the principle of repentance. That's well put. Uh, Joshua and Alyssa, is there anything else you think people need to know about same-sex attraction or marriages that include a same-sex attracted individual um, or the way in which the church treats people with same-sex attraction? One of my biggest, make it biggest things is that I, it took me a long time to learn that same-sex attraction wasn't different than any other sin. No, no, not any other sin, because it's not a sin, but any other um, inclination towards the impure um, that other people deal with. And in that aspect, I would like, SSA to be somewhat normalized, where you can hear people go up there and talk about having a hard time reading the scriptures over the pulpit. But if you ha- talk about people having hard times in with same-sex attraction, that's kind of looked down upon, and and it shouldn't be. We're supposed to be here to mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort and to bear one another's burdens. And it's not just SSA. Um, like I mentioned. If someone's going to Alcoholics Anonymous, that's hard for them to talk about in a young single adult ward. Or if they're struggling with pornography or whatever they're struggling with, I, I would really like people to to have more of a culture of reaching out and helping those people and making them feel loved and accepted regardless of what they're struggling with. And I think a lot of people do. Um, it's not, I'm not saying everyone doesn't, but there's, there's definitely improvement that we could have. We haven't built Vine. We aren't the city of Enoch and we haven't been brought up to meet God yet. And until that happens, we have improvement to do. Joshua and Alyssa, thank you for joining us on Fair Examination. Thank you very much. Thanks. Questions or comments about this episode can be sent to podcast at fairlds.org or join the conversation at fairblog.org. Tell your friends about us and help increase the popularity of this podcast by subscribing in iTunes and by writing a review. Music for this episode was provided courtesy of Lawrence Green. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or of FAIR.